0: Welcome to Yes, I'm a Scientist, where we have diverse conversations with diverse people about science, careers, life and advice. In today's episode, we have a scientist who started her career as a nurse, and after 14 years in the profession and two master's degrees, she became a PhD scientist. Born and raised in Portugal, Sara is very passionate about giving back to her community and inspiring others to achieve their goals. In today's episode, she shares how she led a successful social media and television campaign to promote bone marrow donations amongst African communities in Portugal. Sara also tells us about her work as Next Einstein Forum Ambassador for Cape Verde, and today she joins us from Lisbon, Portugal, and shares her unique experience as a Black Portuguese woman and scientist. So um, great! How are you? How are you I'm today? Fine. Uh, yeah. So, yes. where in the world are you? I'm in Lisbon, Portugal. Lisbon, Portugal. Well, I think I can see some sunshine. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a lovely day today. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. So, so you're in the lab on a Saturday? Uh, usually I work on weekends. I like to okay. work on weekends, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Because it's much less people, it's quiet, and um, you work better. All the equipment are available, so um, you procrastinate less.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow. Education. So, um, yeah, thank you for agreeing to chat with me today and... Um, amazing amazing black woman and scientist. and actually I met you in that very lab that's where we met (laughs)
1: exactly
0: here Uh, yeah the IMM so um, I thought maybe we can start at the beginning Mm -hmm. uh, the beginning of your journey so maybe if we take it back to um, your childhood maybe we can
1: talk about where you're from your school life Yeah, well, um, I was born in Portugal. Mm -hmm. My parents are from Cap Verde. Yeah. So I have double nationality. I was born in a small town, like 30 kilometers from uh, Lisbon, where it was where I grew up, where I did my studies until uh, high school. And then I came to Lisbon for my degree. Mm. And, uh, well there's not many black people in my hometown, we were not that much, so, but, um, but all my, of course, I faced many, um, things related to my skin color during high school, not in elementary school. Okay. Uh, Elementary school was really, really great. Well, from what I remember. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not very good in, uh, Childhood memories. <laughs> in High school, though, I remember I had uh, some teachers that really questioning uh, the work that I did. If it was I that did the homework, or if it was why I written the test, the 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 test, not the written them the text. But then you know, I had the text and the exams, and I passed, so they could not do nothing. But I remember like two or three episodes during my journey in high school that they, they really doubting if it was high me doing the, the things. But besides that, it was really nice. Uh, so, yeah.
0: So you said it was the teachers. That's interesting yeah. that yeah. you face
1: discrimination
0: from the teachers. Um, that, the, it's
1: not like obvious uh, yeah. discrimination, like in your face. Mm. But since you were the only black uh, student in the class, you know, when, and you're not misbehaved and you behaved well. So when you are like, a kid that uh, it's only active or doing troubles in the classroom, it's obvious that some p- teacher segregates those type of students. But mm-hmm. I was not that profile student. I was quiet. I was in you know, attending the class normally like any other average student. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're remember, it was one in Portuguese and one in biology.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They, were, they were new students, at, they were new teachers at the school because at my school, my mother worked there at my high school. So all the teachers knew my mother. So all the teachers knew me and my brothers. So, and my mother is an excellent woman and she built some kind of a reputation over there, although she was Mm -hmm. the cleaning lady. So everybody knew their children, but uh, even though uh, new professors or some old school professors, because of the Portuguese was an old school professor, uh, they really doubted my work. Mm It happened like two or three times during my high school time. So it was not obvious discrimination. It was Mm -hmm. sudden, but I was already an adolescent. So I knew that I was being questioned, not just because of my skin color, because there are not many. Also, there were not many black students in high school. So you really the bottleneck starts way before. Mm. So the oh, how could she be like here and have good grades and uh, write good tests so but well it was like that but besides that it was good i had the advantage of having already like a kind of a status that was built from my mother because everybody liked my mother so but uh, but even for me that 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 i had that privilege Mm. uh, that happens to me so i can imagine to all the others that didn't have that and i know many of my friends that are black, they all face the same thing. I face it in high school. I face it in university. I face it when I start my job. I I face it in my master's. So, well,
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that in um, elementary school, that wasn't an issue. So, um, but then at the same time in your community, there weren't many black people. When were you first aware of your... Blackness.
1: All Black families have that thing. I think we all have that uh, thing that our parents really soon talk to us that we have a different skin tone and that will impact us in your life. So Mm. early on, when I was a kid, I knew that I must be prepared that people will look at me differently just because I had a different skin tone. Mm. And my mother, I remember I was a kid, always my mother lectured us uh, with that thing. And uh, since uh, childhood uh, and through life, she always prepared us for that. So I, w- I was very much aware that to be, you know, when those type of situations occur, mm. I could see if it was related or not to my skin color. So yeah. very much aware of that. In my childhood, in elementary school, I didn't have that. Uh I don't know, maybe I, I was a good student. I had a great professor, professor as well. So probably she liked me like she liked the other students. So although I was the only, no, we were two in my mm-hmm. elementary school, two black uh, students. And actually the guy was the best student of the class.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: He <laughs> was one of the best students in our, in our class because we all made the elementary school together. So we were two and the two of us were good. Uh, and actually, she never, since I remember, never had uh, that impact. And uh, my friends of uh, elementary school was the same friends that I had before I entered elementary school because I was in preschool. Okay. So we all were together in preschool. We went to elementary school. So I don't remember anything like when I was three or four. <laughs> when we got into elementary school by six, we already knew each other from three years ago yeah Um, and it was really a small school because back then it was 40 years almost 40 years ago so it was like was a really small school so we all were together until we were 10 so i didn't notice the big things
0: yeah so um how did you decide what you wanted to do after high school um what's the process like of Career, Uh,
1: like a not an average student. I was a little bit above average, but I was a great student, a good Mm -hmm. student. Um, and I really wanted something related to health, but I didn't want to take a doctor degree. Everybody, oh, you should go to medical school. No, no, I didn't want to go to medical school. Mm -hmm. Then I thought, you know, you were eighteen, so I have to decide something. So I decided to nurse nursing school. Mm -hmm. So it was like on my last year of high school. And I really decided, okay, it will be nursing school. And, and I applied to that. The year before, I was still considering going or not to medical school. I was like 17, 16. But when I was 18 in my last year, oh, it will be a lot of study. No, nah, I will go to nursing <laughs> school. It was actually a, a good decision at the time. Um, although in the future, well, uh, I could now thinking, looking backwards, I should have, you know, decided for another thing, because nursing is uh, nursing. It's a very important uh, profession, but it's not well uh, paid and not well. The credits are not good. But yes, at the time, so I took uh, nursing. It was the decision was simple, like that. I want health. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a physiatric. Mm. I'll, I'll be a nurse. It was simple as that. I'll try nursing school, and I went mm. to a nursing university
0: okay and then how was your university
1: experience yes it was also good I also suffer you know from skin related discrimination as well from one of the mm-hmm. teachers okay. in my third year third year I remember perfectly we were taking because back then the nursing degree it was really really uh, great at least in my university it was a bachelor
2: mm-hmm. degree then
1: it became uh, that became a um, uh, uh, one more year to give you uh, uh, like I don't know how to say it in English because first it's bachelor and then it's like well it's a four years course then becomes a four years course. Mm. But I remember in my second year I was doing an internship in uh in the hospital in the medicine yard adults mm. and we have to wear a uniform so we have to wear also you know uh. Um, socks, white socks, like uh, really the ones that uh, compress your legs. Mm-hmm. And I, I was very, always very messing with putting the colons and the socks. I always, always like my mother spent a lot of money because I wear ones. And then I, man, I managed, I don't know why to, you know, <laughs> break them all and I have to buy a new one. And glass at the time, we had a white uniform, white shoes, blue jacket and white collage mm-hmm. uh, because it was and it was very expensive because you have to buy it in the pharmacy. But one day when I woke up and I went to the drawer and I took the collage, they were all messy. I thought I cannot wear this one. So I use a regular ones because okay. it's like um, regulars, but in my skin uh, tone,
2: mm-hmm. my skin tone.
1: And I went to my internship and the professor was like me like that. Like, because she was really picking on me, really mm. picking on me uh, because I was doing uh, everything great. Uh, but she really, really don't, didn't like me. And I know because I was di- for her different. Don't you know that the socks must be uh, uh, skin color, skin colored? And I told her, so what is the color of my skin? because they are all used to see white socks, yeah. white uh, legs, but my legs are not white. Mm. So I just was wearing something that is proper for my skin color. Yeah. And then I knew that was the critical moment. She, she gave me a not very good evaluation. Okay. So in a scale from zero to 20, she gave me 13. Wow. And uh, that internship ended and the day after we started a new internship in another thing, it was in a, uh, um, a neurosurgery yard. And the, the other teacher at the end of my second internship said, I'm sad, I can only give you 17. I cannot give you 18 or 19 because it will be strange to, to the uh, school. Why did you finish one with 13? And then the day after you started the new one that you ended with 19. So I will put my colleague evaluation uh, being questioned. Why did you give her 13 if she's so good and she would deserve a 19? Cool. Right, like that, No problem. <laughs> Used to it.
0: So, yeah. Oh my goodness. So, so how did you deal with that? How did you cope in those situations?
1: I cope, like I told you before, we are prepared since we're kids for this situation. So we cope very well. So that's an advantage and also a problem because you are so used to it that you just even don't complain. Sometimes if you are, uh, you, it happens on a day that you are not really in a good mood, it's more difficult to cope. But usually you are so used to it, you have suffered uh, so many situations like that that you say, oh, it's just not a c- discrimination situation. Okay, used to it. So, but overall, like I told you, I was prepared from my childhood for these situations. So I know how to confront people based on that. I know that I will have consequences when I confront people, depending on the people. Mm -hmm. But I'm also ready to deal with the consequences because we were prepared to do that. So, well.
0: So what advice would you give to somebody who maybe didn't have parents who prepared them or um didn't really have that advice or guidance what would you say if they find themselves in a similar position
1: you always have to reply in a way that um the other person questions himself or he doesn't have a way to counter respond Mm. you leave them speechless and that's the best way. One, what will happen? Or He's going to be upset, but he can't reply because he has nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Or he will really he will reflect on what he's was saying and probably don't do it again. Which I don't know that happens because usually people do that uh, that uh, do that things. I think the majority of them. They are really not aware because it's like inbred. They are it's they don't they don't know that they, they, are, they are being racist all their life like that. They all their education was like that. They never really thought about it. So for them, it's normal because it, because they are not being like explicitly racist. Mm. Because when they are explicitly racist, you see they are explicitly racist. So they are not even aware of that. So it's, that's why it's more difficult for to change the situation because the majority of people that have uh, uh, racist or decrimi- discriminating attitudes, they are not even aware that they are doing so. So mm. that's why. Okay.
0: So did you have um, a diverse
1: group of friends or... I didn't oh, know no, you... no, 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 no. The majority of my friends are all Caucasian white. Okay. In my childhood, my childhood, I've had friends. So we are 40 year friends now. And uh, yes, they are the majority. I could say like uh, 97% 97% no, 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 until um, 15 years ago, I could say almost 100% of my friends were black, uh, were white. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: so, yes, uh, but uh, I'm a very social person, so I, I speak a lot of people. So, but it's normal for them to be white because I was born in. City with ninety percent or ninety five percent of people are white. Mm. I came to Lisbon and where I went to school, ninety nine percent of the students are white. So it's so it's normal that my friends are all white. Mm. So if I grew up in a neighborhood in Lisbon where the majority of the the, the, the citizens were mixed or black or another cultures, of course, the majority of my friends would be like that. So. My friends are the reflection of where I was uh, uh, born and raised. So,
0: yeah. Did you ever speak with your friends about what you experienced? Or?
1: Oh, and yes, and they don't simple. The majority of them don't understand. Period. So I quit. Sometimes mm-hmm. I we discuss, and I, you know, discussing racism is not easy. I get my tone voice very high, and oh, you don't, you cannot speak like that. And I say. You cannot speak the other way around. Mm. If uh, if something happens to your child, would you speak nicely or would you be upset? Mm. If it was something that really happened to your child uh, and it was like, uh, I don't know, a crime or something, you cannot speak about that peacefully and smiling because it's not a good situation. So the majority of them don't understand uh, the majority of them thinks there barely really no rest rac- the racism in Portugal. But uh, I have many friends that really understand. Uh, they are all white. Of yeah. course, my black friends, all of them understand everything. That we even don't need to speak. We just look at each other. You got, you got it. But um, yes, I have uh, many friends that also do understand. They are really, really aware. They are really, really anti-fa, anti racist So yeah. yeah. So, you know, last
0: year, especially after following the situation in America and uh, the protests, the Black Lives Matter, did you find that there was a, a change um, in Lisbon and Portugal and in the people, in the communities that you're around? Did, was that an impact? It? Ah, yes, it
1: had an impact. Of course, it had an impact. Now, I think it had an impact worldwide, uh, mm. Black Lives Matter in, uh, initiative has been uh, happening quite a long. I've been following way before uh, uh, last year incidents. Uh, and of course, it had a, an impact here because those people that uh, really think white people, now I'm thinking about why I'm talking about white people, that really also that uh, when uh, they are approached about racism, they do believe they there's something. But they didn't do anything yet. They got more involved.
2: Mm. And the
1: other people that really don't think they are racist and there's no racism, they started to question some of their attitudes that they thought that they weren't racist. Mm. And so in that, it's good. And obvious, many of those people as well started to question and said, this is an overreaction thing. But at least it instigates the debate. Yeah. And I think that it's very good.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think here um, it's quite common in workplaces to have, um, they call it unconscious bias training. So it's training for staff to, to show them that unconsciously they may, you know, treat a black woman differently to a white woman or an Asian woman or someone who's older or has a different sexual orientation or gender. Um is there anything like that where you work or where you've previously worked? Has there been any training to try and um, counter discrimination?
1: Oh, like uh, a like, socialization workshop or something? Yeah, like workshops or HR trying to... Um, mm, no, explicitly no, no. Okay, like, uh, uh, I don't know how was IMM before I arrived here, but from the moment I arrived here, I knew there were not many uh, Africans or black scientists. Mm. I know why, but uh, people here didn't even notice that the non-international institutes, 99.9% are Caucasian or Indians, of course, they even don't understand. Even if you see the Indian Indian scientists, uh, they don't even understand that the Indian scientists that you see in Europe are the privileged ones from India, the ones that the parents can afford them to have proper education. Many of them study abroad. So they represent the privileged society of India. So they are not representative of the big country as India and as diverse as India. And so they cannot even understand why they didn't think about it, why there's no black people. And I'm not talking about uh, black people from African countries. I mm-hmm. think people like me, Yeah, black Portuguese people. Mm-hmm. And I remember once it was like I was here and I mean, I don't know, for six or seven months and I was having lunch and then the discussion was evolving and I said it was at one PI at the table. It was several postdocs as well. Did you never notice that I basically, when we are like three or four black people at IMM and you never question why? And they all stopped. And one of the guys said, hmm, actually now that you are speaking, yes, I never saw black. So they wouldn't, they never thought, that, mm. Yes, I. there's not like black Portuguese. People here in science. So again, it's like racism. It's a thing that they don't they don't think about it. Mm-hmm. You were never told to think about it, and the the see the, 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 you see the society. You don't see you only look for the things that are equal to you. Yeah. You are not usually looking for the society as a whole, like here. So you know they.
0: Yeah. No. I think it's common, like here, the phrase that a lot of people use, they say, oh, I don't see colour, I just see people. <laughs> what do you think? I, I think, I think, think it's an
1: hypocrisy. Of course mm. they see colour, because it's inbred of the society to see colour. It's inbred on the society to treat women differently. It's inbred on the society to expect things from women different from men. Mm. Um, they are not aware that the thing is within... The way they think. So um, that's why they don't think I don't, I, they say I don't see color. Mm-hmm. If color is people, it's horrible because, come on, I'm not a, a pencil. Yeah. I the pencils. <laughs> so, you know, but uh, yes, I've heard that I don't see colors. I see people, all, all lives matter. It's not only the black lives matter. And I say, of course, all lives matter. But the black lives matter movement, it's not about questioning the relevance of being a human person mm. because it's the thing that we are not even treated as like
0: yeah. yeah yeah no definitely so going back to your journey so you went to university to be a nurse and mm-hmm. then you were a nurse for 14 years 14 years um and then you decided to then move into science. How can you talk to me about that transition?
1: Well, actually it was kind of a coincidence uh, because uh, I was like you told, I was a nurse for 14 years and um, I was seeing that uh, the future in nursing in Portugal was really, really bad. I've seen it 10 years before already
0: In what way? What do you mean? In what way
1: that I could not, um, you know, I would be stuck in that position forever, doing the same thing until I was uh, 60 years old and being uh, bad paid. And the situation changed a lot since 2001 when I started nursing and 2015 when I left. The society Mm -hmm. changed a lot in those 15 years. people changed a lot in those 15 years. I remember when I entered in 2001, because I worked in the pediatric hospital. So back then, it was like 20 years ago. Uh, The parents uh, were really, they respect your work. So they understood that the situations were not uh, easy, but Mm -hmm. they respect your work. And uh, all the parents before the, the children or the child left, they would say goodbye to every person that was working in that shift. And I ended, in and when I left in 2015, so many people, when they were discharged, we just went to the bed. Oh, they left. We didn't know that they left. They got the medical, medical doctor discharged, and they just left. They didn't say goodbye to anyone. Uh, parents were way more um, complaining for simple things. They didn't appreciate the things that you were doing. Not that I need. I know that I'm doing good. I don't need people to tell you, oh, sorry, you're doing so good. I don't need. It's not that type of appreciation that I need. Mm. Uh, but it's the type of respect for my job. Yeah. And it was not being respected what I was uh, doing. So the parents change, it's another generation of parents that uh, are educated differently. Uh, And I saw that and I was, no, this is too much responsibility if something happens, uh, I will be the one that will be really in a very compromised situation and I'm not paid enough for this. So Mm -hmm. it's been uh, actually after, I don't know, five years after, not even five, like four years after I entered nursing, I knew already it's done for me.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: But I was never able to, I didn't want to go abroad. Many people went to UK and uh, Switzerland, and I didn't want to go abroad because Lisbon, it's great and wonderful weather. I have all my family and friends here. Uh, But uh, I also didn't have any type of qualifications to do anything else. So the only possibility was to take another degree, probably I should have taken another degree and something else, but I did not. I took a master's, but it didn't help anything. Then I took another master's, then it didn't help anything. But it helped actually, in fact, those two masters helped when I saw an opportunity of a PhD program. And I applied to this PhD program that had the possibility a PhD in life science that you could apply without having a life science uh, academic uh, background. Okay. The transition was like that. I, so I I thought now it was in 2014. I really was the, personally, I'd say this is my last year as a nurse. I really have to find something and then pop up this opportunity to take a PhD. And I thought, yeah, yes, yes, a PhD in life science. And then I went back to my childhood memories. I played a lot as a biologist, but um. a lot, a lot. as a, I remember perfect me, my friends and my brothers, we had like the, explorers club, like from, we were, I don't know, six until 11. So we went to the woods and pick up animals, pick up plants and do a lot of things, dissect animals, uh, you know, put uh, books with different type of plants, label the plants, do experiments with um, detergents, soap. <laughs> we even had a microscope and we did it for years. We built our own cabin where we we had a record, we had a diary, where we put everything. So I thought, yes, yes, I will take a degree in life science in a PhD. So that's my transition was simple like that. So it was an opportunity that I came across with. I just apply and I was lucky enough to, you know, to get selected. And I think that the two masters that I did before, that's, I thought that didn't help because it didn't help in my career as a nursing or to change in something in the big health department, at least helped me to, you know, to qualify to be a candidate for the PhD. Wow,
0: that's great. So can you um, tell me about the two master's degrees? That's amazing.
1: (laughs) Well, I took a master's in public health Mm -hmm. and then I took a master's in uh, HIV. It was one in 2005. And the other in two thousand and seven.
0: So was this part time whilst you were still working as a nurse? Yes. Yes. How was I that?
1: Was working as a nurse, doing my shifts—morning, late, evening shifts—and having classes. And well, I just had to adapt. Well.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's great. So, how is it um, starting a PhD? Without necessarily having the biological background,
1: well, this PhD program is uh, from IGC, uh, another uh, research institute in Lisbon, and uh, it's really great because we have one-year classes before. Okay, of course, it takes you time from bench work, mm-hmm. but during that uh, uh, one-year classes, we had uh, every week we had new scientists because it was all scientists, OPIs all from around the world. Mm -hmm. that give you classes. Every Monday, a new set of four PIs giving you lectures for a week. And it was divided in four uh, models, uh, since I recall. Fundamental biology, marine biology, plant biology, and the last one was immunology and tropical diseases. Mm -hmm. So, we had almost the full spectrum spectrum of life science uh, fields classes of everything. So we could decide whatever we want. So they gave you, of course, they talk about their research and they gave you general knowledge about that field in particular. So it was a good way because, and for me, what's really good because the thing that I remember from science was 20 years ago, when I studied DNA, double Alice, and that's all. And I don't remember everything. So I did struggle at the beginning. Um, I remember the first three months was really, really hard because I was really not understanding what they were talking about. Mm. Majority of my colleagues, they have a life science background because they all study biology in their university. So for me, it was really, "Hmm, let me see. I didn't understand. But then the thing, you know, the machine went going and everything went perfectly and I'm here. So.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And so what are you, just a brief summary of, of what your PhD is, Tom?
1: So then I decided to, I really wanted to work with host pathogen interactions. Uh, and then I thought, yes, yeah, so I will work. Malaria, I think, yeah, plasmogy, it's a good parasite. It's a good microorganism that I want to work with. And then uh, I applied to this lab where I'm current, the Maria Motta's lab here at IMM. She works in the biology and physiology of malaria. And uh, well, it's what I work with. I work with the uh, liver stage malaria, actually a protein that is mainly expressed during the liver stage of the disease. And basically what I do, is fundamental biology, uh, fundamental work, uh, molecular and biochemical work, basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was not expecting to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: really, I, rem- I know looking back, I say, when you see the movies, you know, people pipetting and things, <laughs> well, it's- molecular biology stuff that I'm doing now and yes working with the uh, one important protein from the liver stage and it's that I'm on my last year I should have uh, finished already but hopefully I will finish now in 2021
0: yeah no that's great so outside of your career um, you're really passionate about the African communities and giving back and outreach. Can you tell me about that passion
1: and? Yes, because when you ask me, oh, did you felt something when you were growing up? That's the thing. The only thing that I felt always is why the hell I'm the only black person in my class. Mm. And then when I came to the- normal, I could understand that in my hometown we are not that many. Mm. And. Uh, Many of them, unfortunately, as I, as me, we came from poor uh, families. So you are already segregated because of being poor, but others had worse conditions because they live like, in the projects, you know, and people like to, unfortunately, put bad labels to projects. And that's one thing that I always hated because I always, I had family here in Lisbon that live on the projects as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came here very often and there's no greater environment than uh, living there. And people really are not, there's a misunderstanding what is living on the project. It's totally misunderstanding. People don't understand the diversity, the cultural thing, the um, solidarity that happens on the project. That doesn't happen where I live or many other, many other places. And then I, I started uh, reflecting on why we are so many black people in high school and university, real soon, I could understand that it. it was a society problem. And that when I came to Lisbon to take my nursing degree, that was obvious. That was because I left my hometown, I come to the capital city, so we could see that because the diversity is on the capital city. Mm-hmm. We there are a lot of uh, immigrants and still, when all the places that I wo- go, because all my friends are white, so. All I do is like Caucasian type of culture. Mm -hmm. There are not so many black people. So one thing that always upset me was the lack of representativity of Portuguese black people as myself Mm -hmm. in all sectors of the society. Yeah. And it was a thing that I always, always uh, wanted to do something and uh, to change and uh, with uh, the NEF uh, uh, initiative, my main objective to enter the NEF was to be able to tackle that issue that after that in here in Portugal. Because how to have ideas to promote inclusion and uh, to stop the bottleneck after elementary school in uh, Portuguese uh, African descendants uh, students. And that for me, it's what I think it's very important. And uh, and to start doing that is to show and to tell other people, other African people, African descendants just like me, we can all do this. Mm. We can all do this. And it's a thing that I really wanted to tackle. And it's that. It's the lack of uh, representation. It's really upsetting. I was always like... We were only two in elementary school, then we were only five or six in high school, then we were only two in my university, in the hospital, in the the biggest uh, pediatric hospital in Portugal, we can count, I don't know, ten between doctors and nurses. Not the clinic ladies, though, because the clinic ladies are all always black. Then I go to your hospital. Then I go to my yard. We are only two black. Then I come to uh, the institute. Always. And this was a thing that I really wanted to to tackle.
0: You were involved in trying to promote bone marrow donations.
1: And actually, also, that thing is interesting because it was a child that came from Cap Verde. Okay. Yes. And she had um, a disease and a hematopoietic disease that she didn't produce her bone marrow stopped and she mm. was really desperately needing a bone marrow transplant. The relatives were not compatible. Mm-hmm. So the only tr- only way that she could survive, it was with the bone marrow transplant. And she was already in our uh, yard for six months, more than six months. Wow. One day, she could not leave the room ever, ever leave the room. We had to enter You know how we are all dressed up like now with COVID times. Mm -hmm. So we had to enter like that to protect her, of course, in her bedroom. She did everything, bath, toilet, everything in that bedroom. And one day we were um, on her nurse room. I know, you know, I was uh, telling the, the things to the other chief that was entering. And then one doctor said, because we were discussing our situation, that we need really to find the transplant because she did uh, blood transfusions like every day. And uh, the thing was getting worse. Oh, we really need to find a way to... Many doctors, the doctor teams were amazing, really to find a way to help her. And then someone told, so, said like that, you know, he, and that people, they really don't go. Um, that people are the black people. And that people, they really don't go, you know, to be, to donate uh, bone marrow. And that thing really upsets me up from that moment. I said, now I'm going to do a bone marrow initiative, strictly directing to black people because they are neither but not aware why black people don't go there. Because many of them are illegal. Hmm. They cannot, many of them are not even aware of that they can do this, that people need, you can donate these type of things and they just label them as, you know, they don't even donate. And then I developed this initiative like really uh, to incentivate Africans and African descendants worldwide to register, not only as a bone marrow, but as a blood uh, donors. Mm. Because we black people, we are really diverse in terms of genetics, and it's really important to have, you know, banks of bone marrow and blood really diverse. Mm-hmm. And it's true that we, there are not so many black people registered because the majority of black people is in the African continent and the majority of African continent don't have, African countries don't have the f- proper facilities to have a bank that respect the international law to have, uh, to collect uh, bone marrow donations. So of course, because all the bone marrow centers are connected internationally. Okay. If if you're in the UK and you need a bone marrow uh, transplant, someone from um, the US can be your donor. Okay. But not someone from Uganda, Mm -hmm. but just because Uganda don't have the facility to have a center of bone marrow donations, because if they had the facility, Uganda citizens could be volunteers and donate just like any other country.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, well, here in Portugal, we give it freely in the US. I know you get money for being a donor, but here it's like for the Portuguese way. It's really a volunteer action. And I did that initiative. And after six months, we were able to find a donor for the kid.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's so good. That's really, really good.
1: And I went, you know, to the television. The, the newspapers, I did a Facebook account, I went to the radio, and I really, I, I did a campaign where many black people went to give uh, be registered. So the mm-hmm. idea was register, 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 register. You may not help Arena, uh, but it will help for sure someone else.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's really great.
1: And I really have to say in my 14s teens of uh, being a nurse, that, for me, for, was my highest point. I think it, with what, that happened in 2012, and I thought I cannot get any more pleasure of anything that I'll be doing if I stay here for more 30 years that I have done now, because uh, it was a really, really fulfilling situation. Fulfilling. Feeling.
0: And then all those other people's lives that you've helped to say that you don't know of.
1: Hopefully. As a,
0: as a consequence, yeah. Yeah, maybe we can now uh, move on and talk about NEF, so the the NEXT Einstein Forum. So for people that that don't know what that is, can you explain?
1: Well, very briefly, it's a very important Pan-African initiative uh, and it's to show to the rest of the world there's a lot of of African and African-descendant scientists. So yes, we are underrepresented, but yes, we do exist uh, and based on the continent. And the initiative basically happens to every two and two years, they select an ambassador for each African country Mm -hmm. to promote uh, science. uh, So STEM, science, technology, technology, engineering, and math initiatives to your country. And also they um, elect uh, like uh, between eight to 12 uh, fellows, which are African researchers, the majority of them African-based. That mm-hmm. have already achieved a high stand of their professional background. And they promote them to show that, yes, there are many African, Black, African scientists, Black, and not because it's the, from the 54 African countries. Uh, the, we are many, we exist, and to promote them. And it's a really good. It was, a, for me, it was a really good initiative in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. First of all, I have an opportunity to know someone from each African country. And, mm-hmm. and for me, Africa is the most interesting uh, continent uh, in, in the world. And um, that's the, the one of the main things. And then it's really, I think the aim of the initiative, it's really, really good because people, we uh, five years before here at IMM, like I told you, I confronted people about of that. So for them to think why there's not too many here, but for them also to think that, but they, they exist. African Mm -hmm. scientists exist. And and I really think that that's the purpose of that initiative. It's promoting African-based sciences and to also to see that we exist. And even in our countries, to show African people that we have scientists. So Mm -hmm. if you want, we can, you know, enlarge this pool of uh, researchers.
0: That's great. So, how did you get involved? How did you hear about it and how did you... I about heard about it
1: because the initiative started officially like it was launched in 2013, I guess, but the first edition was in 2015. And uh, a colleague and friend of mine from my PhD batch was elected the NEF ambassador for Cap Verde from 2015, 2017. So, that's how I came across with the initiative. Okay and then i thought well i i think this this initiative is the ideal initiative to give me the some tools to how can i design something to promote a more inclusive science here in portugal
2: mm-hmm.
1: and also in Cape Verde, of course uh and i applied to the NEF and to be the, the ambassador for the Cabo Verde from two thousand and seventeen to two thousand and nineteen, and luckily enough, I was uh, elected. Yes,
0: that's great.
1: And uh, it was really, really nice. And I had the opportunity to develop African Science Week in Cabo Verde in two thousand and eighteen and two thousand and nine. Really to and uh, really to show the um, to the Cabo Verdean citizens uh, and the Cabo Verdean students and Capvergian, you know, to see you can have a career path in science, mm-hmm. also too, so that science is in everything on your daily life. And, uh, you know, to do public engagement with science and not only public, also governmental engagement. So them to value uh, the importance of having Capverdian uh, researchers and really to promote research as a political goal when, you know, they are in uh, power. Um, and it was really nice. I had the support of a lot of people and the help of a lot of people in Cabo from the universities and the um, um, civical movements, teachers, everything. It was really, really great.
0: Oh, that's great. So, um, the African Science Week, so uh, can you just explain what that entailed? Yes,
1: it's, um, you design, um, well, the ambassadors have the free will, to design whatever they think it's proper to promote Steam during a week in their countries. Yeah. So I designed uh, several uh, different um, events towards what I think it was important for Cap Verde.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in the first year, since nobody have heard before about that, mm-hmm. uh, I decided to do a radio podcast. So every day it was a, re- a thing. Uh, five-minute podcast that would go nationally broad in the national radio about science, and mm. which will end with a curiosity in um, something of science related to Kapverd, mm. as Verde. Well. And I also did uh, small workshops and small courses for the scientific community already in Cab Verde. Mm. And I also did public engagement events for the Normal citizen uh, to to get involved let me see in the first year it was the radio it was uh, animal models a workshop of animal models for research for the university students and some researchers uh, it was seven events I did seven events in one week in the in the first but I'm a little bit tired now I cannot remember. <laughs> like around the one thousand people that were involved Wow. In the first edition Uh, and on the second edition, more than 3,000 people. Yes, because amazing. I was a little more ambitious in 2019 and I went to three different islands and it was three, instead of one week, I did three weeks African Science Week. Wow. And uh, yes, so it was different. It was more ambitious, but it went really well from things, from agriculture workshops to... um, workshops for elementary school uh, uh, teachers to learn how to do experiments for the basic experiments for them uh, on the classroom. It was uh, a science communication workshop for uh, scientists and uh, journalists. Uh, I did uh, several seminars for uh, high school students, One about fake news in science as well. Mm. uh conference, everything. A marine biology. We take we took in I Mindale mean, We took uh, elementary st- school, st- uh, school students to the ocean to see the diversity that they have in their city. So it's really really that's nice.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Uh,
1: yes, as well. Well, many things.
0: That's really great, and um, it's amazing that you could uh, y- you reach so many people. Yeah, that that's really that's really excellent. Well,
1: that's the goal of Neff. Only told us that you have the free will to design whatever you want,
0: mm. but
1: it must be STEM related and outreaching the people. So I followed those indications. And then I thought what for me would be more important and more adding value uh, to Cap Verde or, or to that kids that that day had a different day. He didn't went to the classroom or mm. he went to the ocean or we went to the exposition of uh, many animals and we can see the animals in the microscope so that was my goal so that kid that day they remember that day and eventually i don't know in 15 years time you will take a degree in biology and become a researcher because because when i was a kid we did this thing and i really really like it i don't know it Mm. was my expectation
0: wow that's great so how is it um i know often for africans in the diaspora sometimes when they go back to where they're originally <laughs> from there's it can feel yeah it's not easy sometimes
1: is different yeah how was how your experience uh, it's not uh, it's sometimes it's difficult but i can understand why they do that position and the position has historical uh, background mm. because when you go since i was not born there for them even to acknowledge that I'm Cabo sometimes is difficult. Mm. Uh, because, or, or even because I really speak like Portuguese kind, uh, or I don't speak, uh, my Creole is like the old-fashioned Creole because my mother, I speak like my mother is <laughs> speaking, so I don't use their jargons, you know, the way they, they speak. So they see that I was not born and raised there. Mm. And many of them don't uh, identify as... as also Kapverdians. Okay. I think that sometimes our home countries, they only identify you as an equal when you are like a superstar in something. Imagine I was uh, a major um, mathematician, born and raised in Portugal. My parents are Kapverdian, but I'm born and raised in Portugal. No, or an Olympic athlete or something. Mm. Then they would say, look, a Kapverdian, but I'm just an average person. Yeah. Nobody knows me and for them, it's difficult to accept me as equal because in their mind Mm. I was born and raised in more privileged conditions because I was born in Europe and I have access to more things and I didn't struggle the same as them, but they don't know that I I had another type of different struggle. Mm. So I understand why they think about it. So it's not very easy. I must confess, it's not very easy. And usually, I say it's for uh, Portuguese people like me that are African descendants. For me, it's legit. Identity is something that is personal. Mm. So, if I was born, if I'm born in Portugal and I'm black, I have the, I can. If I only consider myself as Portuguese, it's totally legit because I was born and raised here. It's my citizenship, so it's totally legit. If I was born and raised here but I only consider myself as Kapverdian, it's also perfectly legit. It's the way I was educated, so perfectly fine. And like in my case, I consider myself as both. Yeah. So ev- every three scenarios are understandable and perfect. And mm. none of them should be criticized. I should not be criticized because I was one in Portugal and I only consider myself Portuguese while being black, I cannot be criticized by that. Mm-hmm. I cannot be criticized that I'm Portuguese, but I feel 100% Capverdian. I cannot be criticized as that. And I cannot be criticized if I feel both because I am both. My Me, yes. Sara Batista, I consider myself both because I was born and raised in Portugal. I have the culture that I was th- learned here, but mm-hmm. I, all, I have all the things that I have in my back home, in my home. It's all. All the traditions my my, pass, my mother passed me of being Cabo all the things not the stories of Cabo Verde. So I can consider myself also as uh, a Cabo Yeah. But for them, it's difficult. It's difficult because they don't see you as equal. And when you want to do something. Uh, it's difficult, but when you are aware of the reasons why they mm. do that, it's more for you, you can find other strategies to, you know, to embrace them in what you want to do mm. because you are an advantage. You know why they think that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally understand. I,
1: yeah. I don't the same thing, but.
0: Yeah, yeah. So similarly, I'm British and Ugandan. I have dual um, citizenship. And it's exactly the same. You go to Uganda and you don't feel Ugandan enough. You're here, you're not British enough. Yes. <laughs> and um, but I think yeah, the few of us in the in the diaspora, we understand how that feels. And I think there is a new generation, and I think things are changing even sure. across Africa. And uh, but I do find that every time I go to Uganda or even other African countries. You, you are welcomed and you, you're made to feel at home. It's not as if um, you're a complete foreigner. Yes, you may be, you speak differently, you dress differently, your mannerisms are different, but you're still welcomed. It's just, you're not totally
1: <laughs> the same. Well, for me, for my experience that I have in African countries, it's totally different when I go to my country because obviously they see that I was not born there. But mm. when I go to other countries that, no, I'm just an African from another country that is not mine. They don't even <laughs> question, oh no, but you are European. No, it's, it's different. Uh, so, but that, it's normal. I guess it happens with you in Uganda. If you go to Uganda, you are, you feel the same thing as I do. But if mm. you go to Cap Verde, you will be treated just like <laughs> an African. Yeah, yeah. Verde, so they see you as equal Africans. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, but it, I really think also it's changing and, um, for the better. As mm-hmm. actually, the continents it's starting to think as a continent, really. mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully, things will change for the better. NEF initiative is one of that uh, initiatives, at least towards science, mm-hmm. that wants to promote that. Uh, so. Um, I really think, and it's really great to see all the 54 countries together to, and it's really, you don't have, you don't have another continent so diverse as the African continent. Yeah. So it's really, really good and be much more inclusive to each other, to our neighbor African countries. So I think the future is changing for the better, slowly, but it is. What do you
0: think about, um, so Africans in the diaspora are moving back to Africa. Many
1: people are going back mm-hmm. uh, in all sectors, not all in science. Uh, but uh, on the science, one of the things of NEF also is that, is to promote that uh, the diaspora goes back to, the con- to, the, to the, their country in Africa and do something from there. Mm. And I really think it's great. And I really think that it should be done, but, oh, but I also think it, we still have a long way to do it, mm. but there's been a long, long, also many things that is, um, that has been doing in place and people are returning and doing already amazing things. Uh, but for me, I have another perspective because I think, uh, things must be working in both ties. Mm -hmm. both sides so I think definitely if you have the opportunity to go back you should and if you want to but then I think we have the situation to tackle the diaspora yeah the ones that are here that don't even manage to go to the university yeah and I think um, we can get only we can promote that if you work both sizes yeah. So if you are in an African country doing that, and if you are an African in diaspora, mm. doing something different, yeah, in the diaspora, so also, so like, imagine I become a big world scientist, which I will not, but imagine I become a big world scientist in Cab- in Port- in Lisbon. I will always make sure to state that yes, I'm a Portuguese Cabo Verdean scientist. Mm. I will always have to state my heritage, my, uh, my country, Cap Verde, always, because that's wh- how I can promote my country and I can encourage others that was born here just like me, but also Capverdian, to do mm-hmm. the same. And also then, I, I don't know, in 10 years, 15 years, I have the conditions now I already stable here, now I can go to my country and help those that are already there. So I think it's the many things that must be, do, must be done at the, at the same time. But it's improving, definitely it's improving. I have a lot of colleagues from my batch of PhD that mm-hmm. uh, want, really wants to return. Some of them already returned okay. and doing, uh, uh, doing already amazing things. Uh, so I think the future is changing. Yeah. Something must happen also in the countries. Mm-hmm. The countries must also value. It is important to welcome, uh, this di- diaspora or not only diaspora, but uh, the ones that were born in the African country came to do a degree abroad and then return. And I think slowly, slowly, many countries are um, embracing this idea as well.
0: I think it's important what you said about um, having it on both sides, because it is a very privileged thing to be able to choose where you live. Like a lot of people do not have the luxury to say, Oh, I'm, I'm going to move back or I'm going to do this. It's, you know, it's not possible. <laughs> like, you know, you know, you don't choose where you're born. You don't choose the life that you have. So I think it's important, like you said, to try and help the community, try and help the diaspora around you, but I think also, what do you think about the notion of, because a lot of African scientists want to come to Europe, want to come to the US, the other way around as well. Yeah, the
1: brain drain happens, of course, the yeah. brain drain happens. and I really don't like to discuss always the same issues that, you know, because they leave the African countries because of the corruption and because of they don't have conditions. Uh, I, I really don't like also to discuss, because people love to tell African countries are corrupt.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, uh, look at your own country. is it corrupt? So why don't you say only Africa? No, it's Although oh, it's a problem worldwide. It's not only yeah. African. And of course, I can understand as someone that you don't have. You live in a country that is in civil war. You on the where reagents you can only come from South Africa or from Europe. Mm-hmm. It will take five times more uh, time to get the, the reagents to get there. You don't have, electricity goes on and off. You don't get well paid, of course. You can; it's legit for you to go abroad. Yeah, but I. But people usually that say that you know, it's mainly white people. They don't know what is to be an immigrant. And when you are an immigrant, you always have within you the will to come back, Mm -hmm. and the will to come back and to help your country, almost, or to do something in your country. Even my mother, they didn't, they didn't came to do like. um, Everyone wants to help their country. Everyone, everyone. Mm-hmm. So I think the brain drain, yes, sure, it happens. And also like uh, uh, promoting science, uh, people are going back. I think it must be work on the se- both ways again. I think the countries in Africa must accept the fact that has brain drain, but also act in a way that can, after five or 10 years, attract that guy that left to come back. Okay, mm. now I don't have the conditions for you to stay here. But I want you back in 10 years. Not just go and you must return regardless. No, now I have to build the conditions that in 10 years, that that guy wants to come back and do something here. Mm. and uh, But for that, they, you also need someone with this type of mentality in power, you know, to have to apply this type of decisions because this... Basically, these are political decisions. Mm
2: -hmm. And if you
1: don't have someone in the government that thinks this way, you need to have someone that thinks this way, that envisions the future in science as uh, like this. Of course, uh, NAF initiatives work like a good lobby in that way, because Mm -hmm. we also lobby that way. Also, we need uh, that's why it's important. Also scientists went to politics, in politics. So for them to lobby and to pressure as well, not to stay only on the bench, but to do things in politics because, you you know, you must, um, you must uh, do everything, not only one way, two sides, three sides, all the things that you can do to, with the same goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know
1: if I explain myself properly because sometimes, you know, I'm not an native speaking English, <laughs> so sometimes my, my English, my words may miss, but well. No, no, that was great.
0: No, that that was really great. I think you articulated that really well, and um, yeah, I think I've, Chester, I've taken a lot of your time, so maybe we can can wrap up. But I just thought, are there any final bits of advice? Or-
1: yes, I really wanted to first for every European Black citizen. So I don't think I think it's important for you, you have the right to feel whatever you want. So don't forget that you are European as well, first mm-hmm. of all, if you want to feel that. And uh, don't neglect uh, the privilege of uh, your African uh, heritage. And we are, we are resilient. We are used to, you know, to difficult conditions. And, I, and it's going to be difficult, you, I, I, you know, I, like I told you at the beginning in the high school and everything. It's going to be very difficult, but um, this seems like a cliche, but it isn't a cliche. Just forget about it and keep on doing your thing. And just don't go on, the, just don't fall down on the pressure of the society, of the bottleneck to segregate uh, uh, black people. And uh, it's, of course, it's difficult when you are on the environment, when you all see like this, you cannot uh, see open. So of course, oh, but well, I can see it's that all my, my colleagues, they went to the constructions. They didn't study. They went to the constructions just because they went there doesn't mean you have to take the advantage of seeing what the other people, the Caucasians are doing. Look, uh, brother, look, because don't forget that you are European as well. So look what another person is doing, regardless if he's white or black or Chinese or Spanish or Indian. And if you want to do that, do it because you are European. Has him don't think like, all my friends do this and that it's only for white people. No, we can do it, uh, everything. Look at look at me. I did nursing. I didn't understand a thing about a protein. And I'm now doing uh, fundamental biology. with 40 years old. So I think there's always time to change. And there's always space to learn. And really, we, I think the best advice that I can give from my life, it's that.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: really, I'm doing a thing that I was not, uh, I didn't have the the academic background to do it. But if you know someone that can give you the tools, if you know someone that is doing that, mix the two of them and do it because we're able to do it. I don't think, I don't know if I'm expressing myself. Yeah, that's really great. My message is um, take the advantage of, uh, if you live on the projects or if you live on the ghetto, take all the advantage of uh, living in those in that neighborhood that for many of people are considered bad, but it's not bad because we learn a lot of skills, social skills. And look of the, the what is the lifestyle, not lifestyle, because lifestyle is a bad word. Look what other people outside the projects do. If, if you want to do that thing, if you want to be an engineer, go and be an engineer. If you want to be a lawyer, go and be a lawyer. I know that will be rough on you because on your neighborhood, they, will, they won't laugh. They won't have a, uh, um, lawyers university. So you have to go more. So you have to go uh, farther. So for you, it will be more difficult. But you can do it. You just can do it always. That's great. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to be next after I finish my PhD. I don't know. I'm not going to stay in science. I want to do something else. I'm still thinking of it. uh but I always take everything a little bit from my past with me. So I took a little bit of the nursing to this. And then I took a little bit of this and the, the nursing to the nef. And then I will take something of the nursing and this and the nef to something. And it's, you know, think, really think of the the things that you learn. And, um, you know, our times give you lessons as well. So...
0: Mm. No, that's great. Um, so I think um, one question I didn't ask you was: Has your gender played a role? Do you think in your in your journey? So, being a, a black woman specifically,
1: there's a lot of stereotypes relating to being the black woman. But in the journey, what professionally?
0: Um, as a whole, as a whole, yeah.
1: Well, professionally. During nursing, no, because nursing is a classic woman profession. So that's OK. Yeah, I am as a researcher here in Portugal. Well, of there's a lot of women in science. Uh, on PhD level, uh, postdoc level, PI level as well, that's a, a lot. So that I don't uh, I don't uh, I didn't face. Of course, I face the thing of being a woman itself, all the th- on the streets that, that I face. of course, you know you sometimes you when you walk by yourself at the night, it's totally different being a woman or, or being a man. It's totally different, but that's the thing of being a woman. And being a black woman, what do you face is you know it's the stereotypes that you face because. It's like the stereotype that you face of being a, a white blonde woman. They also have the, the, the many stereotypes. So the, all the stereotypes that you can think related to black woman, I've mm. encountered it. OK, all of them. So for the good and for the bad, because stereotypes have both ways. But usually when it's black related, the majority of them are, are bad. But mm. uh, but even if being you look like a, imagine a, a white blonde person, Woman, it's also very here in Portugal, imagine the Portuguese women typical are not blonde. Okay. So blonde women are really like the a standard of beauty here. Uh okay. Being blonde. But also at the same time, it's being oh, you're so pretty, you're so dumb. Because if you are pretty, you cannot be intelligent as well. So you know. There's a lot of stereotypes related to gender and to when you mix gender and uh, skin color and regard in the uh, what's of being black and woman. Yes, I faced, you know, you know, I can't say it even, you know, the, the sexual stereotypes of uh, African woman. That's the most uh, professionally, not because my profession, like I told you, it was basically woman. So
2: mm. only the
1: thing that I could uh, suffer is for being black, not for being a woman. And yet I am I my man, it's nothing gender related as well so the only stereotype that you have it's for you know sexual stereotypes on this, okay. on this that it's uh, and that's the thing and um, I don't know basically yes yeah, like in
0: the UK um, there are a lot of we call them microaggressions um, so the, like the angry black woman,
1: so that um, black that women... That are... happens when I talk about racism. <laughs> really? Yes. You're only angry. You black people, when you talk about racism, you're always like that. So it's not passionate, it's anger. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: And then even like, um, even when you watch TV, I'm not sure what the culture is like on Portuguese TV, but the black woman is always like aggressive or scary and it's interesting, I was having a conversation with a friend and do you remember like even the Spice Girls, the black woman was scary, she was scary Spice and it's like yeah. every way they kind of try and put this perception that,
1: you know... In Portugal, we face it because all of the things we see, there's not black representativity, Portuguese black representativity on the TV. Mm. So what you see it's foreign shows and it's all the same image because that's how, you know white countries that produce all the things that we consume, they perceive us. That's the stereotype. Of course, I always seen that or. The black woman is the cleaning lady.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's true. And that's the the thing. What? let me tell you one thing that happened here at Miami. Like one year ago, I was arriving for a time point at 6 a.m. in the morning. Who does arrive at 6 a.m. in the morning being black at the institute? It's the cleaning lady. Mm. So I was arriving at the institute and I was rushing because I really had to put the UVs on. I had something to do in the cell culture. And I was entering running. And then one uh, lady, which was an African lady, said, hey, come on, come here. Don't forget to check your point first. Uh, To, you know, to make my entrance first. So... She was thinking that I was also a cleaning lady and she was worried that I was late. And if I didn't check the point, it was less hours and I would let earn less. So what I, why I want to talk about representativity and about being black in Portugal, it's also for the black people because mm. this day, and it goes on to my final message at your request, since you don't see, since all that she knows, it's black people in the institute are cleaning ladies. Mm. It doesn't even consider the possibility that I could be a researcher. Yeah. Because she's not used to it, just because she's not used to see it. And this is the lack of represent- uh, representativity. And and for this woman, what, which will, she will never go to science. What I want her, what I want to do, is for her to think that, to show her that we exist, And Mm -hmm. for her to look at her grandchildren and think, "Okay, if you want, you can do whatever. If you want to be a cleaning lady as me, you can. But you can also be a researcher if you want. Mm -hmm. She doesn't envision the future for her granddaughter only being as a cleaning lady because she never saw anything else. Yeah. So that's the way they represent us. They represent on the television. Uh, black people as the waitress, as the mm. cleaning ladies, or you know, criminals, criminals, <laughs> or when we are, or there are all of white and one black. That black is really the special. We just cannot. We cannot just be normal. Mm. But one thing that I really want also to say is that okay, there's a lot of stereotypes, but uh, we understand why stereotypes exist because. Many of the characteristics are linked to a culture. So it's normal that, oh, Cab Verdean woman usually do like this. Of course, if you are always dancing while, you know, doing the, of course, we like to dance. Mm. It's a stereotype that you put. Well, yeah, this is a good stereotype. Africans, you're all Africans dance very well. It's in your genes. It's a stereotype that all Africans dance well. And when I say to my friends, I'm not a great dancer oh, can you not dance? You are black. Of course I dance, of course I dance, but not as good as I wanted. But it's a stereotype, a stereotype mm. that all black people know to dance. Yeah. And it's true. But this stereotype is true, but not that white people don't know how to dance. It's just because in African culture, music, we live in music since we are babies mm. and we grow up with music. We don't, uh, we don't reach adolescence and we are in a party with our home and families and you just don't dance. No. In adolescence, I dance with my grandmother, I dance with my uncle, I dance with my cousins. We always dance. We always dance. In white people's cultures, they stop dancing. They stop touching each other. That's why they also. So they stopped developing that skill of dancing. We never, we always dance. There's never a party in my family that we don't There's no music and you don't dance and you don't touch each other. So I dance with my cousins, either she's a girl or a boy, we dance, we mm. dance. So it's not that all Africans dance, no, we just keep on dancing. They don't dance because they stop you go to, they don't dance at all, just because of that. But if they, if they do it just like in our culture, of course they would, uh, they would dance. So there's that stereotype. There's mm-hmm. the stereotype that African people are very sexualized, very so sexual objects. No, we, the, the culture here in many uh, European countries, people don't touch each other because if they touched each other, of course, they will be, um, you know, more accepting of touching, but they don't Perhaps exist for a reason. And many of the reasons, many of them are based or in cultural things that that people face or in struggles that 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 type of people struggled a lot, so they develop a characteristic in the consequence of that struggle. Mm. So they stereotype. But it's like the other writer things told stereotype. the problem is that the stereotypes is not that they are untrue, they are only incomplete. And the problem with black people, it's that they put the stereotype as the full truth, period. Yeah. And it's not, it's incomplete. There are, uh, oh, there are many criminals, black criminals. So, so let's think, why do you think there's a lot of black criminals? Mm-hmm. And then you understand what's the stereotype and you see that it's not true at all. It's, it's only incomplete. There's another type of the story that is not being told. No. I don't know if I.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's really true. Like, even with the, the angry black woman, why is she angry? Why is she... Why is she... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, what... Because of a
1: purpose. Because something, because we are always complaining about something that is unfair to us. Yeah. We are complaining about unfairness. Mm. Well, they don't see that they are complaining about unfairness. Or oh, They only see that we are complaining.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. so that's why the stereotype complaining.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Ah, oh, Sarah, thank you so I, I much for what, your time. I, I really don't feel it was what you expected, but no, it's really great. I wanted just like an organic conversation, and I think it's been so great to hear about your life, your journey. You're an inspiration, and it's, I'm not.
1: I'm not. You
0: are. You are. You know. You know. You. You're a strong woman and um, it's amazing that you, you know, you always have a smile on your face and you're so hardworking and you, you think about other people, you know, the story with the bow marrow to Neff and yeah, I can see your passion and... I think you'd be great in politics. <laughs> well, I'm not the first
1: person to tell me that. Yeah, to go, to go to politics.
0: <laughs> or policy making, or yeah. I think um, yeah, but thank you so much. And even um, yeah, you made my time at the MM. I was only there for two weeks, but um I was yeah, really blessed to have met oh, you, you and you were a great support. It's not easy, it's really it's not easy, no. It's not easy at all, but um, yeah, hopefully your story will
1: inspire. Well, I don't know what's going to be the end of my story yet. Like I told you, I don't even know what I'm going to do when I finish my PhD. But one thing's for sure, what I've learned here, I will take with me. Yeah. And when I learn with the good things or I learn with the things that went less good, because we always learn, I will take with me as well, like I take with everything. And what's, that's my moral of life
0: yeah no that's great and um yeah keep enjoying life and keep smiling and smiling yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so
1: so you've got experiments to get back to now (laughs) well now it's in incubation the treatment is in incubation now i will have lunch okay and then after i will do computer work because the time point it's only at six Okay,
0: okay, wow. Okay, now that's great. And uh, yeah, I hope your experiments go well, your PhD and yeah, congratulations. Hopefully I will give you
1: good news this year. I finished my PhD. <laughs> you, don't, uh, you didn't study science and you do a PhD in life science. Amazing. And you enjoyed it. Which yes. is important, Enjoying it. While yeah. doing it. And I'm enjoying it while doing it.
0: Yeah. And you're living proof that it's possible and you don't have to have a biology degree you don't have to come from a certain place or you do an effort
1: to try to achieve what you want to yeah sometimes you don't achieve but at least you have the you are securing yourself that you did your best Mm. that for me it's the
0: yeah yeah definitely okay great um is there anything
1: else you wanted to say or well thank you very much for the invitation still like oh, i told thank you, you too i hope i managed to to respond to your expectations uh and thank you it's really nice to see you yeah 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 I on the phone now i'm seeing you like the <laughs> yeah. new platform the, yeah. the pandemic brought the pandemics brought us and well yeah yeah great there in uk with you
0: yeah yeah everything's fine ah oh, thank you so much again Sarah. and um and see you yeah. soon yeah let's keep in touch it would I be great to i will you, tell um, you when i finish don't worry yeah <laughs> okay. okay great so Bye bye. nice to see you, and bye. See you soon. <laughs> yeah take care okay you too. bye-bye bye, bye-bye